This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. The title of today, and y'all know I always work in, what do I try to work into every song? I mean, oh, sorry, man, I messed it up. What do I try to work into every sermon? A song. Well, I just figured we'd go ahead and get it out of the way this morning. If this is your first time, I apologize if you've never done this before. My sermon title is the title of a 90s R&B song. And if you know me very well, I love 90s, all kinds of 90s music. R&B, not discriminating against that, one of my favorites as well. And so just simply, today's title is, This Is How... There we go. So... As the great theologian Montel Jordan said, this is how we do it. Simply put, we are going to talk today about what are some of the parameters and means of walking in Christ, of living in Christ. The book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, and some of you that have been here for a while, this is, we've talked about this a lot, but that's fine, repetition is key here. The first three chapters of the book of of Ephesians were very theological in nature, explaining our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. We talked about grace, and we we talked about mercy, and we've talked about God choosing us, and we've talked about all those different things in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and really solidified our foundation and who we are in Christ, our standing in Christ. But these chapters 4, 5, and 6, the last three chapters of this book, really go into more of how we are now supposed to live as a result. And how many of you understand, it's not just enough to academically uh, take the Bible in and say, oh, I know who so-and-so's father was, and I I, I memorized this passage of Scripture, and I know the theological truth here. That's great, and we must have that. However, if we stop there and we do not then practically apply it to our lives as Christians, then all we are is academically smart and not spiritually changed. And so I believe the author, Paul, of the book of Ephesians wanted to make sure that the the Christians in Ephesus understood, hey, you need to have your theology right, first three chapters, but then you need to have your relationships right, your practice right, your works right. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how do we live in the manner in which God has called us to live as Christians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, if you have your Bibles, read along with me. If you don't, it'll be on the screen in front of you. But Ephesians 4, 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By the way, we're not going to talk today about our security that we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit, but there's a really, really big proof text verse right there screaming at you. Verse 30. 
Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Heavenly Father, speak to us. God, speak through me. May I simply be your mouthpiece today. May I simply be your voice. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate Scripture in the hearts and the minds of every one of us this morning? God, may we leave here better equipped through your word to walk as a Christian should walk. May we leave here today better equipped through your word to live and converse and to have our being as a Christian. God, for no other reason than to give you glory and to show your glory to those who interact with us on a regular basis. At the end of the day, your glory is what we are here for. And God, we pray that everything that's said today, everything that's done today, would simply bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in that powerful name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Make no mistake of it, while the main theme of Scripture from beginning to the end is the mercy and the grace of God to a sinful group of people, from Genesis to Revelation... It's the story of people needing grace and needing mercy. But make no mistake about it, those who have received grace and have experienced mercy, God calls to live as if they have received that grace and received that mercy. Lest you think that you walked into a church this morning where the pastor says, Jesus loves you and he doesn't care anything else about anything that you do or don't do. You are not in a church like that. You also didn't walk into a church that says Jesus loves you if you will do everything that he says that you ought to do. Those are opposite sides of the spectrum. A church that you walked into this morning says this, Jesus loves you so much. And this is how much he loves you. He gave you his spirit. Verse 30, you're sealed to the day of redemption. He gave you a spirit. You know why he gave you a spirit? For one of many reasons. Here's one of them. To help you serve him more to help you walk like a Christian, to lead and guide and to direct you, to take his power and display it through you. You, I believe you walked into a church this morning who takes this biblically and, and properly as we highlight, yes, the grace and the love and the mercy of God, but also what we are to do as a result of that grace. The gospel calls us to live holy lives. The gospel calls us to holiness, to holy habits, to righteousness. The gospel would not be powerful if the gospel just came in in an instant and didn't change anything in your life. If Jesus comes into your life, things are going to change. And here's what we're going to speak of today. These new habits, these, these instructions that Paul highlights here are not obviously not an exhaustive list of how we should live as Christians. The entire Bible walks us through different elements and different phases of how we are to live as Christians. And so this is not an exhaustive list this morning. And perhaps, I don't know this, perhaps the Apostle Paul is contextualizing some specific things that he knows the Christians in Ephesus are struggling with. That's what I would assume. 
However, no, no matter the, the contextualization, uh, I believe Paul lists some specific things here that are vastly important to us as we seek to live in Christ. To live in Christ. Before we look at them specifically, I want us to notice three kind of overarching truths about these behaviors. Okay? These are kind of three general truths that apply to what we're going to get to here in just a second. The first thing is this. These examples that Paul gives us are relational. These examples are relational. It means this. The way that we live, yes, has an impact on us, but the way that we live also has an impact on other people. Would everybody agree with that? Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, this is the first time you've ever walked in church or you were, or you were like me and you were raised in church eating Cheerios in the nursery. All right? Your decisions affect more than you. If you are a grown adult in here, you understand that. Your decisions affect more than you. Check out the relational behaviors. I'm not going to go through all of them, but it says this. Speak truth to one another. Don't be unrighteously angry toward another person. Uh, Do not steal from other people. Do not speak corrupt, corrupt language or corrupt talk to other people. Rid yourself of bitterness, of wrath, of anger, and more towards other people. So these truths are relational truths. And we should never uh, forget that, that what we do and say and the way that we live has an impact both positively and negatively in the lives of other people. That is a universal principle of the Bible. The second thing that we must understand about these examples These negative examples have a positive counteraction. These negative examples that we're going to get, they have a positive counteraction. And and, and we'll see that. Living a life that reflects the holiness of God is not simply saying no to sin. It is also saying yes to righteousness. It's also saying yes to the good. So living the Christian life is not just saying no to the bad. It's also saying yes to the good. And maybe where you found yourself struggling in your life is you've said, I know I need to remove the bad things in my life. And so you've removed some bad things from your life, but you've not replaced those bad things with the good. And so then you have an emptiness. And you haven't filled that hole with something good. And so this is a positive counteraction to a negative example we will see over and over again. Once again, these are just universal principles about this text. Thirdly, these examples are rooted in biblical theology. For instance, Paul does not just say, speak the truth. And that would be enough through the authority of the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. It would be enough for Paul to just say, speak the truth. But no, he, he puts it in context the theological context, he adds the reasoning that you're all members together in the body of Christ. The theological truth. So you ought to speak the truth to one another because you are members together. He says that if we, that we should not participate in unrighteous anger, unrighteous anger, because if we do that, we are giving place to the devil. He's teaching a theological truth. So we must understand, just like the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the theological truth matters. This isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. 
There's theology and there's truth behind it, and we must understand that because we must let that govern our lives with principle. But this morning, I want us to see the actions that Paul discussed. I want us to see the, for lack of a better word, the roadmap that Paul gives us here on living the Christian life. Let's look at it very quickly this morning. Number one, I want us to see this, that we must replace lies with the truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And let me say this, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as Jesus' followers, we must be committed to the truth. To the truth. And I understand that we live in 2019. Have y'all gotten there yet? You're saying it? We live in 2019, not 2018. We live in 2019. I understand that our culture teaches us that truth is what you think it is. Truth is all determined upon your perspective. And truth is determined based upon your experience and what you think the truth is. But this morning, may I say this, the truth, especially when we're talking about our spiritual lives, the truth is grounded in God's word and in Jesus. In fact, Jesus called himself in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look at, uh, in contrast, Satan is known as the father of lies. Look at John 8 and verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of of it so we have a contrast we have jesus who is the truth and we have satan who is the father of lies and i'm not trying to preach a moralistic sermon this morning but i am saying this that christians true followers of jesus christ ought to be truthful speaking the truth committed to the truth through the power of god's holy spirit when we speak and when we value the truth we are speaking and valuing jesus And when we speak and value lies, we are communicating that we don't value him, but we value the father of lies. How many of you have heard the quote, honesty is the best policy? Raise your hand if you've heard that quote. Anybody know who said that? Ben Franklin, they say. You never know, right? Quotes, people that old, like, oh, that sounds like a Ben Franklin quote. Go ahead. But I've heard that my whole life. You know, the honesty is the best policy. My dad kind of modified that. Not that my dad was better than Ben Franklin or anything, but hey, my dad modified that, and I actually really appreciate the way he modified it. He said, son, honesty is not the best policy. Honesty is the only policy. It's the only policy. It's not that when you are, when you are confronted with something, you have to make the decision of, am I going to be truthful? Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you know, honesty is the best policy, so... No, the principle is I'm committed to honesty as my only policy. And so when you come to me, I will respond with truth because I've already made up my mind that I'm dedicated to the truth and I'm committed to the truth. And this morning in our dealings and our, uh, it should never be said of a Christian that, hey, that guy's a little shady. 
Hey, that guy, that lady, she's a little dishonest. You've got to follow up. Hey, the boss at work ought not to say about me and about you and about us. Hey, when they say they're going to do something or they say this, make sure you follow back up because there's a good chance that's not the truth. That's not the case. And once again, I, I'm, I please don't take this sermon just as like moral, you know, telling you what to do. But I believe Paul was, was addressing the fact that we need to be, be people of integrity. And we need to value the truth as Christians, even when it's difficult, even when it's uh, not popular, even when it might cause some, uh, some friction maybe with someone who disagrees with you, the truth is supreme. And making a principal decision that I will be a person of truth can guide you the rest of your life. No, I'm not going to lie just to get the sale. No, I'm not going to stretch the truth there just to make them think one thing so that I look better. I'm going to be honest. And that means when I get to work and when I leave work. That means when I'm on lunch and I come back from lunch. That means when I'm reporting my numbers. and It means in all of those areas. I will say this. There is one time, and I don't have time to take you to the scripture where it says this clearly in the Bible. But there is one time when it's okay to lie. Husbands. When your wife asks you the question, does this outfit, I'm going to use the PG version, make me look fat? And when she asks you that question, your answer is, guys, no. And it doesn't matter if it's the truth or not at that point. It is no. Hey, do I look good in this outfit? Guys, what's the answer? Yes. It can be your least favorite outfit that she owns. Do I look good in this outfit? Yes. All right, so that is the one time I give you that. I see some guys, but they want me to end right now so they can come and pray. Uh, but I see that. But there is time. That's called, that's actually a whole book of the Bible that we devoted. That's called wisdom, right? That's the book of Proverbs. That is wisdom. And wisdom has got to take root in your life at some point in time. But in all seriousness, we need to be people of the truth. Because if we are people of Jesus, we are people of the truth. Secondly, this morning, we need to, this one's a good one, we need to replace anger with anger. We need to replace anger with anger. You say, Josh, that's, that makes absolutely no sense. Look at verse 26. Be ye angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. It is clear here in this verse that it is, Paul is teaching us that there is such Two things, a righteous anger and there is an unrighteous anger. And he doesn't necessarily get into the details of what that looks like. I believe we can take other portions of scripture and we can uh, maybe piece together what it would look like, uh, righteous and, and unrighteous anger. But there seems to be a time when God calls us to a righteous anger. He tells us to be angry, but don't sin. And so that means that there are times I can be angry in sin. And I, I thought through this, and, and, and once again, any time that I give you something that is, I call it Joshology, this is a little bit of Joshology here because I'm not going to take you to a passage and say, here's exactly where it says this. But in comparing and contrasting unrighteous anger with righteous anger, I would say, and once again, take this or leave this, unrighteous anger would lose control. Unrighteous anger is anger that is out of control. Righteous anger is always under control. 
You see, I can be angry. Something can righteously anger me. And I can still stay under control. I can control what I say. I can control my actions. But an unrighteous anger loses control. An unrighteous anger speaks in the moment. Man, anybody you type A, talkative personalities like myself, and if, if anger gets involved in your life, you speak in the moment. And when you say it, it's almost like right when you said it, you're like, oh man, I can't believe, mm, should have said that. Unrighteous anger speaks in the moment. Righteous anger speaks deliberately. Speaks very deliberately. Hey, I, I, I want to address whatever this is that has made me righteously angry. And I, I've thought through my words. I have rehearsed them in the mirror. I have emailed them to myself. You know, whatever you got to do. By the way, emailing stuff to yourself, is a, it's like therapy. Like, send yourself an angry email. It's awesome. Uh, you'll get it. You'll get to read it. Like, it's cool. Um, unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger loses control. Righteous anger is always under control. Unrighteous anger speaks in the moment. Righteous anger speaks deliberately. Unrighteous anger has no purpose. Has no purpose. If you are just angry in sin, you'll get finished with your little episode that you have where you just say, fly off the handle. And at the end of the day, you, could, you have to look yourself in the mirror and go, what good did that do? What was the purpose behind that? And your answer is, I just need to get some off my chest. But on the flip side, righteous anger has a purpose, and that purpose is to stand for right. Stand for right. Hey, I believe there are things that have happened. I'm going to get there. Lastly, sorry, I didn't want to jump ahead. Unrighteous anger is reactive. It reacts to situations. Righteous anger tends to be active. Hey, there's a situation going on, and I'm going to take a deliberate step of action. Unrighteous anger is, oh no, something happened to me, and I'm going to react very quickly, very aggressively, very loud, very condescending, very unbiblical, very unchristlike. But a righteous anger has a purpose, and that purpose is to stand for right, and righteous anger is active and not reactive. By the way, this morning, there are things I truly believe God wants us to be angry about. And I'll be very honest with you, in a righteous anger way, not in any unrighteous anger way, I believe the church of Jesus Christ, I believe local churches and Christians need to become a little bit more righteously angry about what Satan is doing to families and about what Satan is doing to young people and about what Satan is doing to homes and what Satan is doing to, to your friends and what I think we do need to have a little bit more of this righteous, deliberate, very godly anger at what Satan is doing to the people that we love and to the culture and the community that we love, tearing it apart. I believe when we, when we hear of those that are marginalized or we, we think of, uh, of all, whatever, and this is not a political statement at all, but when we think of those people who, who in our society have needs and are marginalized, we need to become righteously angry about what sin and the devil has done to our society. I believe we need more of that. But what I fear is that we actually have unrighteous anger as a result of it. And we become like keyboard warriors. You know, we got to type it out on somebody who disagrees with us. Or, you know, you, everybody has that person at work that sends like the chain emails. 
you know, like forward this, you know, about, you know, some political thing that probably happened like five years ago and they think it just happened. And they send it to you. And you want to reply. In fact, you're crazy because you're angry. You want to reply all. You're going to be that guy. By the way, please don't reply all. Guys, just, I don't have scripture for that, but just don't reply all. I'm just telling, it's going to save you a lot of heartache. But at the end of the day, we become keyboard warriors. And we're so unrighteously angry. We fly off the handle. We say things to people we love that we don't really mean because it's in the fit of our anger. Can I get down where we live? I, I, I might come sit with y'all. Sometimes we discipline our children in unrighteous anger. They make us mad. And in the heat of the moment, we say something we shouldn't say. In the heat of the moment, we discipline them in a way that we know. We know. And you won't, you won't verbalize it, but you get done disciplining them, you go, you think to yourself, there ain't no way that was the right way to discipline that situation. No way in the world. Look, I mean, I'm a pastor, and there's times when I've thought, Lord, have mercy. I'm glad ain't nobody from a church around right now because I just was a horrible example of how to parent my children. Be real. And let me just say this, mom and dad especially, if you're, in, if you're listening this morning, you can do nothing better for your children than to be under control, speaking deliberately, standing for what's right, and active instead of reactive. You can do your children no better. Then yes, there are times when through sin and through the actions of your children, that it's going to bring you into a, an angry state. That anger needs to be righteous anger. That anger is not delivered towards a person. That anger is delivered, delivered towards the source of that problem, and that's sin, and that's Satan. As a follower of Jesus, we can and we should be angry, but we should always be under control, and we should always be deliberate. We should always be active and not reactive. And where we have problems, I tend to believe, and I, y'all know I'm not even yelling right now. It's great because I'm talking my anger. I got to chill. Um, unfortunately, I tend to see anger displayed more towards people than I do problems. That's kind of a simple way to just, what we just talked about for five minutes, let's just wrap it up. If we're going to have righteous anger, our anger must be at a problem, not at a person. Not at a person. And 99,999 times out of 100,000, I got that. It's Satan, it's sin. That's the problem. So if you're going to get angry, instead of flying off the handle at your spouse or at your friends or at your family or at your kids, why don't you just go somewhere and get alone in your car and just, hey, if you're going to cuss somebody out, cuss out the devil, man. Get angry at what he's doing in, in, in that person's life. And then go love the mess out of that person. And then go hug that person. And then go take that person out for coffee or for dinner or for water. Then, then take that person and just pour into their lives. I don't like coffee, so I take people out for water. It's cheaper, too. So I didn't mean for this to become an anger sermon. But I believe it's there. I know it's there, and maybe I need to hear. Maybe this is like, hey, Josh, you know, listen to the podcast <laughs> when it comes out. But as a follower of Jesus, we are to be angry, but we are to be angry against the problem and not a person. We're to be very deliberate in our anger. We're to be very calculated in our anger. We are to think through our anger. We are to be active and not reactive. 
be angry and sin not. Man, I could go into this. This is good for your, for your marriage. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. My wife and I decided 13 years ago, we will not go to bed mad at each other. We will not go to bed angry. Whatever we need to deal with, we will deal with it. She's not in here, so I can say this. There have been times in our marriage where we have been playing the, I'm not talking until you're going to, you are going to be the one. You're going to make the first move. I am not making the first move because I'm not the one that's wrong. And I'm going to lay in the bed facing the other side of the wall until you turn around and say, I'm sorry. At least that's what I've thought a few times. And I think there's been a couple of times we've lasted until like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. Standoff. I ain't, I ain't moving. I ain't moving. I ain't moving either. Cool. I'll stay up all night. It's all good. Don't let the sun go down to your wrath. Hey, somebody's got to be a Christian. Turn around and say, I'm sorry. Smack, smack yourself upside the head. Good. Tell them you're sorry. Tell her you're sorry. Anyway, I'm, that wasn't supposed to be the sermon today. The Holy Spirit's just pressing on me. Replacing anger with anger is what we need to do. First of all, we replace lies with the truth. We replace anger with anger. And now we're rolling. We're going to replace stealing, not with not stealing. We're going to replace stealing with hard work and generosity. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Baseline, elementary school, three-year-old kid teaching the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, right? We know that. It's like an inherent part of our society. Don't take what doesn't belong with you. But Paul says this in the righteous replacement. He says to go a step further. Not only should you not steal, but you ought to work hard. And you ought to work hard enough to be able to provide for yourself. And you ought to work so hard that not only can you provide for yourself, but you can then bless other people and be generous to other people. So not only should you not be a thief, but you ought to be a hardworking giver. Boom! Paul throws it. He goes 180. He goes completely opposite and says, not only are you not supposed to do this, but you're supposed to extravagantly be a hard worker and a giver. Hey, let him that stole steal no more, but let him work with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Need. As followers of Jesus, it's not good enough to just say, oh, I mean, I didn't steal, I had an opportunity to steal. No, no, he calls us to something way higher. Though through the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit, we're called to work hard and to be generous. I said this before, and I'll say it every time this comes up. There are two types of people in this world. There are givers and there are takers. And it's about time some takers turn into givers. There are people who, who want to suck the life out of everything that they're a part of. And there's people who want to give life to everything they're a part of. Hey, listen, as, as a church body, as a body of believers, can we be a church of givers? And I, this is not a financial statement. I'm talking about, hey, do y'all need help? I want to give them myself. I want to give them my time. I want to give them my talents. Wait till February. We're going to talk about stewarding our time and our talents and our money. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But hey, what can I give? What can I give? Not what can I take. Not what can I take. But what can I give? Look, I promise you this. We're going to continue to fill your tank up. We're going to fill your gas tank up, your spiritual gas tank. Every week, 93, super, super unleaded. We're going to fill it up with Bible. We're going to fill it up with worship every Sunday. Every week at Connect Group, we're going to fill it up with more Bible and fellowship. We're going to fill your tank up every week. 
And you know what your job is? To give it away. Just to give it away and be a conduit. Just to give it away. Just to be a conduit. Just to, just to empty that tank and fill it back up and empty that tank and fill it back up and empty that tank and fill it back up. We are to replace corrupt speech with edifying speech. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word corrupt here literally means like a rotten piece of fruit. Y'all ever had that? Leave your apples out a little bit too long? And it's, that's that mushy. It's disgusting. Uh, I will say one thing about rotten things is rotten things tend to make other things rotten. But Paul calls us to speak in these three ways. That which is good, that which edifies, and that which gives grace. Simply put, there's a great filter system for our speech. Through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God working in us, through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, what we've learned. Okay, now, is my speech good? Is it edifying? And does it give grace? Does it give grace? Maybe this connects back to the anger point. But do the words that I say, they're going to speak death or they're going to speak life? Hey, the words that I say are going to discourage or they are going to encourage. And this morning, can we commit to biblical communication? May it be good. May it be edifying. And may it give grace. Everybody likes to be around people who use this as their filter to speak. Everybody likes to be around people who say, man, that person just speaks graciously. They're just so gracious in how they communicate. I mean, to the point, they're overly gracious. Like, they don't even need to be that gracious with me. I can handle it. But they're just so gracious. They just edify, man. They're so positive. And I'm like, dude, I'm kind of negative. But they're just positive. They're just edifying. Man, I think we completely bombed on this thing. And here they are going, man, that's the best thing I ever heard. Man, I felt like that was the worst sermon I ever preached. And then they meet me in the back and go, this completely changed my life. And I'm ready to, you know, go to the foreign mission field. Edifying. Edifying. Is that who we can be? Yes, it's who we can be. Is it who I am all the time? Absolutely not. It's a good filtration system for us as we begin, as we talk, as we communicate, as we have our lifestyle. Theologians have battled with verse 30, and I'm not spending time at verse 30, as to why it is placed right here. It's kind of, honestly, a little bit out of place. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Some people say it's kind of all of the things we've talked about. He says, if you don't do these things, you're going to grieve God's Holy Spirit. Other people think it is directly connected to our speech, the previous verse. Either way, I'll let you decide what you think. I personally think it's the whole chunk of verses. At the end of the day, us not living right, us not uh, claiming gospel change in our lives 
can and will lead us to grieve the one who lives inside of us. The one who will be with us forever. And I don't want to be guilty of that. I'm not, once again, I'm not telling, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But lastly, we are to replace bitterness with forgiveness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I preached an entire sermon back last spring on bitterness. I've, I have experienced seasons of bitterness in my life. Um, and that's not a good spot to be in. Um, bitterness is a season, I believe. For some people, it's a longer season than other seasons. Um, but bitterness is a killer. It's a killer. It's a joy killer. Um, you won't serve Jesus with a smile with bitterness. You won't. You can't. It's impossible. If you do, you're a fake. And we've got to put this away. And how do we do it? We do it being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. You say, Josh, we just basically talked about what we should not do and what we should do. Yes, we did, because Paul literally just talks about it in the book of Ephesians. And that's called sequential Bible preaching. That's what we do. Come back next week. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we are going to talk a little bit. It's a little bit more lovey uh, next Sunday. It's going to be good. But at the end of the day, we must walk as a Christian walks. We must walk as a Christian walks. These aren't fun sermons to preach. These aren't easy sermons to preach. I mean, this isn't Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not, that's not this... It's fine. It doesn't always have to be that way. Paul specifically writes to this church for specific reasons that, that apply directly to us. We talk today about one word, and that word is sin. We ought to reject sinful living, and we ought to pursue godly living. And can I say this? That one word, sin, unites all of us. Y'all know I'm done. Bible's closed. iPad's closed. I promise. All right? There's one word that unites us this morning, and that word is sin. Because you and I struggle with it. And guess what? We struggle with it from the time that we were born. We come out of our mother's womb as cute little sinners. We have our first, you know, sinful cry, and that is sin. Let me just say, I will tell you that. No, the truth is, I think we all know this. I mean, you were a kid once. You, if you have kids, you definitely know this. You know, if you just leave people to themselves, they're going to turn into some amazing little sinners. It's crazy how it works. By default, they touch the hot stove. That's my best illustration. Like, if you just don't tell a kid to do it, just leave them alone. Turn the stove on. Watch them go to it. That's what's going to happen. I don't know. They're not supposed to, but they're going to. Hey, tell them, just put something, something, this is me, I'm a rebel at heart. If you guys put something right here, envelope right here on this speaker, and you just put do not open, man, there's something inside of me. It's like, I don't want to, but I just, I really want to open that because I want to, there's a reason why you put do not open and I need to know what that is. You know, at the end of the day, we're all sinners. Here's the thing, you sin differently than I do. I sin differently than you do. 
But at the end of the day, that's a commonality that we all have. And we talked about sin today. And maybe one of the, the things we talked about today hit, resonated with you more than it resonated with me or someone else. And it, another point resonated with someone else that didn't resonate with you, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I believe we can all uh, understand that sin is a common bond. And let me just say this to those of you that are believers in Jesus. We ought not, we not, ought not ever forget that we have a common bond being, uh, being saved from our sin. As God brings people into our lives, into our church, lest we ever forget what God has saved us from. We ought to understand our commonality in sin. Let me say this, if you're here today and you have never believed on the name of Jesus, you would not consider yourself a believer. Uh, let me say this, that yes, while that word sin is a commonality that we all have, we also have another commonality. And that's a word called grace. That's a word called the cross. That's a word called Jesus. And, and it's, it's very simple. It's the fact that there was a common problem of sin, and God sent his son Jesus to correct that problem. He didn't do it by, uh, by coming in on a white horse in a, in a purple robe and declaring his victory. He came in humbly, and he lived this life that we're living right now. He was tempted just like you were tempted. He's te- he was tempted just like I am tempted, yet he never sinned. And he willfully and willingly died on a cross for you. In fact, Scripture tells us that not only did he die for your sin, but he became your sin on the cross. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin. You see that common word that we all have sin? Jesus became that. And when he was stripped and he was beaten and he was brutally uh, placed on the cross and not even recognized as a man, that was your sin. That was my sin. And he put that sin to death. By the way, the song we opened up with this morning, Then He Rose, that's going to be our Easter opener. Man, I can't wait for Easter Sunday. I love Easter. You know, here's why. Because he put to death our sin. He put it to death. But he didn't just end there. You remember we talked about how at the beginning there's a positive counter. There's not just a, a don't do, there's always a do. And here was the positive counter to that. Hey, I'm going to bury your sin, I'm going to kill your sin, I'm going to die as your sin. But I'm going to rise again in victory. Three days later he rose. He rose. It was as real as you and I are sitting here today. In fact, one of my goals in our church is to do an Israel trip sometime in the future. I want to do that. You know why? Because I want us, as many of you that can, I want to go and I want us to stand beside that empty tomb and just be like, hey, he's not in there. Like, it's, it's true. Like, what, what more do you want? Y'all want to know a dream of mine? Take some video people with me and record an Easter sermon, a video Easter sermon from Israel. That's like a dream of mine. So anyway, y'all pray about that. Um, but uh, and then it'll be really cool because Easter, I could sit out there and watch the sermon with you guys. Uh, but At the end of the day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. And that's what he offers you, resurrection power. Victory over your sin. Victory over death. Hey, sin gave us a death sentence in hell. Claiming the blood of Jesus Christ and and the forgiveness that he offers not only changes your life today, but it changes your eternal destination in heaven. Can I ask you this morning if you have never accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Would today be the day that you accepted that? 
you know, you can't work hard enough because you're still a sinner. You can't attend church enough because you're still a sinner. You can't give enough to the, to the local charity because you're still a sinner. You can't volunteer enough at the, at the, at the uh, rescue mission. You're still a sinner. You can't just be good enough. You're still a sinner. And you must, you must have a perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. I call you today, if you have never believed on the name of Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, I want to give you the opportunity this morning. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.